Good morning and welcome to another of our Wednesdays in the Word. Hi, my name is Gary Cooney and I'm so glad you could be with me today as we continue to look at God's Word together verse by verse. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. I hope that you've been able to be with us for a while and if you're this is your first time, please go back and listen to some of the times preceding this to get the context of our study in this day. We're in the midst of chapter 7 of the book of Romans and today I want to pick up our reading in verse 15, and read through the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For what I do not, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not want to do, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and make me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. We're not going to be able to look at all of those verses today. We'll look at them today and the next time that we're together. But they set the stage for us to conclude the discussion that God has been giving us in Romans chapter 6 and now in Romans chapter 7 about how sin can deceive and defeat the believer. We've been examining in this seventh chapter how God's law, ironically, for the redeemed believer can actually act as a stimulation to making sin choices. The old self, that person we were prior to finding Christ as Savior, that old man, that old self, is inclined to do the very thing that's prohibited. We talked about that in terms of understanding the essential human nature, to want to do the thing that they're told not to do. We see it in children, of course, but we see it in adults as well. If we're told, don't touch, it increases the tantalizing idea of touching it, doesn't it? That's the dynamic of it, or don't walk on the grass makes people sort of incline themselves to want to walk on the grass. Well, that's the reality. Our old self is inclined that way, picks up on it, and commands, therefore, can have the opposite effect of not only making God's plan clear to us, but also finding a stimulation to the temptation to sin. Our old self is easy pickings for that type of enticement and temptation. And that's all the more reason why God has been arguing in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Romans that we cannot afford to have the old self running the show. We need the new man, the new self, running the show and determining 
to be surrendered to Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to enable it to deal with life and temptation as it comes into our lives. You and I simply do not have the strength to resist that enticement and temptation of sin. We need the enabling of God's Holy Spirit to help us, the enabling of the Holy Spirit to engage us as we, by choice, choose to present our bodies as living sacrifices and commit ourselves to an obedient lifestyle. We ended last time by saying, please don't underestimate the power of sin in the life of the redeemed believer. Far from sin no longer being important because someone has been forgiven and has eternal life in Christ, God has been making an extended argument for us that sin, in fact, is very important and a serious issue. And he's gone to great lengths to do it. And by the way, a basic rule for understanding the scriptures, interpreting the scriptures, is what's called the emphasis by space. If a particular body of verses a particular segment is given over to a topic and then examines it again and examines it even further, we can assume that God is doing that because the topic is exceedingly important to us. Brothers and sisters, if God's just spent two chapters out of the book of Romans challenging us about the reality of sin and the danger of it for the redeemed believer and how to deal with it rightly and properly, we can assume it's important. The idea that somehow sin's unimportant for the redeemed believer simply doesn't bear the weight of biblical teaching. The Bible is very clear about it. Now, moving on from that backdrop to where we are now as we're trying to conclude the seventh chapter, verses 15 to 25 give us a much more practical, nuts and bolts sort of look at that inner struggle that's been referred to all along the way here. But now we're going to see that inner struggle really developed for us. It's, it's explaining to us in these verses this inner warfare that's happening between the old man and the new self, the new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's explaining to us how that old man finds an ally in the habit patterns of our thinking and our acting. Because all of us are creatures of habit. It's an honest picture for us in Romans chapter 7 of the struggle. It helps us to be honest with ourselves, first of all, but also honest with God. If God is going to this trouble to clarify for us the reality of what we face, it is silly for us to pretend before God we don't face that reality. No, take advantage of what God is going to great lengths to tell us. He's giving us a picture of the life we face. More importantly, he's giving us a picture of the solution to the life we face. So let's go forward and examine some of this. He begins by reminding us of a perplexity that all of us encounter. In verse 15, he puts it this way, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I end up doing the very thing I hate. I don't understand myself. You ever said that? Or perhaps have you ever thought that, especially in relationship to the Lord as you've been before him? I just don't understand myself, Lord. <laughs> this, this 
phrase not understand, do not understand, is uh, coming from a Greek word which means to be baffled by, <laughs> to not be able to make sense out of something. To, it, it just seems so confusing and baffling. Now, in my life and in my interactions with Christians over many, many years, if I was looking for a uniting factor in which everyone said, amen, yeah, I understand that feeling, it has to be this baffling sense. <laughs> People say, amen, I don't understand myself. I want to do the right thing, and then I end up doing the very opposite. Hasn't that been your experience at times? At the time you're before the Lord, you're saying, oh, I, I, I really, Lord, I, I really want to be the father I need to be. And then we step out with the best of intentions. And instead of doing what is the best father we can be, we end up losing our temper. We end up overreacting. Now, it doesn't matter what particular example of sin or temptation I would bring up here. The dynamic would be the same. We go out with the best intention. Even before God, sincerely, we say, I'm going to do the right thing. Lord, I want to do the right thing. And we get into life, and all of a sudden, boom, we are baffled by ourselves. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I didn't want to do. Isn't that true of you? I'm so thankful for the word of God as God has breathed it out for us. It is so real to life as we're living it. It gives us something to hold on to. God understands. Now, he's not condoning that, but he understands it. And therefore, there's a starting point in our relationship with the Lord. I can be open and honest with God about it. And I can seek his answers in the midst of it. Why do I stumble so often and so readily? Why is it that I and you, who are listening to me, so often end up doing what we really don't want to do? We've determined, I don't want to be this way. I don't want to do this action. I don't want to have this attitude. I don't want to say this kind of thing. And yet, we end up doing it. Why does my performance not match up to my heart's desire? And it is to that issue that the final part of Romans chapter 7 goes to great lengths to explain to us. And God explains to us the answer to those questions by identifying for us five fundamental truths about our struggle with sin and temptation. We're going to look at those five. I'll begin them today. We'll finish them the next time that we gather together. But if you've ever been baffled, and all of us have been, by these very realities, please pay attention as we unfold together what God has to say about this very baffling, perplexing issue of wanting to do one thing and ending up doing the very opposite. So be with me. Truth number one. One of the things that is evident in these verses is that God, for now we're talking about the Redeemer, because that's who these passages are talking about, not the unsaved. This is not the issue for an unsaved person. This is the believer. And what God is telling us to start off with here, the first truth, the first principle, is that God has actually changed us at our deepest level. So God's reminding us about that. That's something we can get a hold of. When we repented and believed in the gospel, God changed us at the deepest level. 2 Corinthians 5.17 told us, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. God has made us new people at the core of our being. The deepest us. The deepest level of what we are. The real us. God has made us new. And one of the reflections of that newness, that miracle that God has produced to make us a new creation, is that at the deepest core of our life, we now desire to keep God's law. In verse 22 that I read to you, it puts it this way, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, as you read through the scriptures, and then just even examine your life, the fact of the matter is, prior to turning to Christ in repentance and faith and becoming this new creation, if somebody said, what is it that is true at the deepest core of you? It was not a desire to keep God's law. It was a desire to be the God of your own life, to do what you wanted to do. That was the deepest driving desire. But in coming to Christ, God has changed fundamentally the truth about us. And now the deepest level of us says, I delight in God's law. <laughs> in my inner being, I want to do what God says to do. <laughs> Proof, by the way, that you're actually a believer when you find that fundamental shift at the deepest level. Part of the misery that the believer has with sin, and that's part of the misery God is addressing here as Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing these words down for us. Part of our misery with sin as a believer is not merely that our conscience bothers us, makes us feel guilty when we've chosen to sin, but part of the struggle, the misery for the believer, is that the real us, the deepest level of us, has fundamentally changed. And that deepest level of us not only feels guilty, but grieves with behavior that doesn't please God. You see, that's a double problem. Not only guilt, but grief. We've been transformed. We are new people. The new birth has produced this. The real issue, therefore, for you and I, isn't how to get us to want to do God's law at the deepest level of us. God's already done that. The real issue for you and for me and for every believer is how do I go about taking what is now true at the core of who I am and letting it get reflected in the crust? <laughs> you see it? The movement from inside to the outside. How do I take this delight in the law of God in my inner being, the desire to want to do what God wants me to do? How does that get to the point where now my thinking and my actions reflect that rather than the sin and temptation that lies so close at hand? How does change really come about in the life of the believer? Well, fundamental truth number one. God's actually changed us at the deepest level. If you know Christ as Savior, you are different at the deepest level of who you were than who you were prior to finding Christ. God's already done that. You don't have to do that. God's done it. It's a miracle. Well, let's move on to truth number two. We encounter it in verse 18 and verse 23. Verse 18, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Verse 23 says, 
But I see in my members another law waging war against this law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Truth number two. Remember, truth number one, God has actually changed us at the core, at the deepest level. Truth number two, our bodies have not yet been changed. You hear that? Truth number two, our bodies have not yet been changed. Our core has been changed radically, miraculously. Our bodies have not been changed. <laughs> now, in God's great plan for his redeemed children, there will be a day when I and you receive a glorified, sin-purged body. Sin will no longer be a reality and a problem for it. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the wonder of that resurrection body that will be ours at some point. But that is not now. Now, I find I'm a new creation situated inside an old body. I'm literally old, by the way, but it's not just that sort of chronological old we're talking about. We're talking about the new creation is situated in the old frame, the old body. God has redeemed us. He's made us new at the very core of our being. But he's left us for now to cope with fallen bodies and to live in the midst of a fallen world and to have to contend with the enemy of our souls, Satan. Now, there's not a believer alive who cannot come before God on the basis of that truth and say, Amen. That is true. I am living in the midst of a body that is not perfect. It is fallen. I live in the midst of a culture that is terrible. It's fallen. I live in a place where Satan stalks about like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. Yeah, that, that's the reality of my life. Changed, saved, changed at the core, but living in a fallen body, in a fallen world, attacked by the enemy of our souls. Isn't that your testimony as well? <laughs> it is here. The Bible is so real and so true to existence. The result of this fact, this truth number one, changed at the core, truth number two, still in the old bodies, is that we discover that our physical body, our habit patterns, and even our ways of thinking are basically aligned with the old man that we were, not the new man we became at the core of our being. Our body tends to cooperate with and incline itself toward the old ways, toward the old patterns. And the result of that is that you and I discover a war within. You've been in the midst of a battle, in the midst of an internal war going on within you. <laughs> we discover this war going on in us, and clearly that's the picture in this last part of the seventh chapter, a war for mastery and control over our actions, our words, our ways of thinking. <laughs> the old man that we were is still very real and evident in the habit patterns of our life, in the way that we are habitually thinking, habitually acting, 
habitually reacting to life. You and I are creatures of habit. God created us that way. It's a good thing so that uh, we could build those habits. And once they're in place, we can do something without having to think consciously about it all the time. God wants that to be true. He wants us to have habit patterns. It's part of his divine design. But you see, habit patterns in terms of actions and in terms of the way we think can also be complications. Because what happens when those habit patterns that we do with hardly thinking about it uh, are tied to the wrong things? You and I were not perfect before we turned to Christ. (laughs) You and I were sinners. And there were many patterns of life and many thought patterns that were not right before God. And they're ingrained in us, habituated within our lives. And so we have a new man inside, a new creation, but we discover a warfare going on because the old habit patterns want to resume control over our actions and our thinking and our words. And God says, listen, remind yourself You've been made new at the core, but you're now situated in a, in a crust that is not new. And it's influenced by the old man. It's still influenced by the fallen world. It's still influenced by Satan, the enemy of our souls. I need to keep telling myself that. When I discover the warfare going on between the inner man and the members of my body, God is saying, all right, what'd you expect? I made you new at the heart, but I left you for now in a body that is not new and in fact is dying. Truth number two, our bodies have not been changed even though the heart has been. Do you catch it? Well, truth number three, we've got time to look at that and then we'll build on these truths in our next time together. Truth number three, we encounter in verses 17 and 20. Verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Truth number three is that sin continues to oppose us even as redeemed believers in the midst of this fallen world, living in fallen bodies. Sin dwells within me. The phrase is repeated in both verse 17 and verse 20. And you say, well, haven't I been saved? And the answer is, I hope you have been, that you've responded in repentance and faith to the gospel that we spent so much time talking about in the first five chapters of Romans. But listen, even if you did that, the fact still remains that in the physical body, remember God is... Truth number two, our bodies have not yet been changed. The body still has sin dwelling within it. It dwells within you, within me. It's not synonymous with who I am at the core anymore, but its presence is very real. The temptation to sin is a very real temptation. I face and you face. One of the uh, people who was very influential in my early development as a believer, as a disciple, told me, here was his phrase, he said, listen, sin's alive and kicking in us. And I thought, that's a great way to think about it, because that's an apt description of what Romans 7 is trying to remind us about. Sin is alive and kicking. Praise God. 
I've been delivered from ultimate accountability for sin because I've turned to Christ as my Savior and His righteousness covers my life and I stand right before God as a result. Praise God, I've been changed at the core of my being. But the fact remains, in the fallen body that I still possess, sin dwells. It hasn't gone away. It continues, though forgiven in a general sense, to be a source of conflict and battle for me. Sin and the temptation to sin is working within me to get me to say no to that inner desire to obey God, the delight that's there because of being a new creation and keeping God's law and doing what God wants. It's tempting me to give the old patterns, the old self, the old me, back control over the life I'm living. It's tempting me to simply resume the programming that was there and continue to believe and act in a way in harmony with who I was before salvation rather than who I now am at the deepest level. And it's constantly working on us to do that. And it has a strong ally because the patterns and habits of our life, the way our temperament, the way we've approached life, was created by the old person. It's calling for us to resume the familiar, the ways I was normally following life. God says, expect it. Don't assume because you're a believer this, this struggle won't be there anymore. Don't naively assume if only you tarry at the altar long enough that you won't find the old self trying to attack you and tempt you to resume the old ways the, day, the moment you get up from the altar. No, no. God says, listen, I've made you different at the very heart. I've left you in a body that's continued to trouble you. And expect the battle. Expect to be opposed. Expect sin to be tempting you to revert to the old you. Expect it. Nothing good dwells within us. Verse 18, he puts it this way, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. I mean, that is in my flesh. <laughs> he says, hey, look, I'm thinking about my physical body here and my mental things that came out of that and the programming of it. God's telling me nothing good is there. You need my grace and enablement to keep, <laughs> to, to make it obey and align with the new man that you've become at the core. But if you don't, understand, you can't trust that core, that crust. You can't trust what that body is because it is a susceptibility point for the enemy. Remind yourself nothing good dwells there. Don't buy the belief that, well, I'm not that bad. All of us are that bad. All of us need nothing less than the enabling of the Holy Spirit moment by moment in our lives, aligning with God's truth. Remind yourself every time you determine that you're going to do the right thing, delighting in the law of God within, that a battle is going to come. Verse 21 says, evil lies close at hand when you make that decision. Remind yourself to that. Don't be surprised. After you've just said, I want to be what God wants me to be, I want to do what God wants me to do. Don't be surprised that all of a sudden the battle rages. The battle doesn't go away because you determined to do the right thing. The battle faces you. And so the question is, how will I fight that battle so that I end up doing the right thing instead of the thing that my members of my body is trying to get me to do? Well, 
three of these truths. Much more to say about it. Join me next time, Lord willing, as we continue to conclude our study of Romans chapter 7 and try to understand this struggle within that all of us face. God bless.